Hello there, friend. Welcome back to the Cash Confident Stylist Podcast. So before we get into this episode, I got a question for you. How often do you ask yourself, where the hell is my money going? Okay, look, a lot of us, that runs in a constant loop in our mind. And it's time to take your first step towards financial empowerment. So I wanted to give you a free resource that is going to help you do just that. I wanna give you Assess Your Situation, which is the first module in my course, as well as your guide to figuring out where the fuck your money is actually going. Sorry if you have kids in the car. So this is gonna be a free guide that I've created to help you break the loops, providing you with tools to assess your current financial situation. You don't even have to break out the calculator and to help you gain awareness about what you actually need to start making those money moves where it truly matters. So go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the show notes and snag it. The link is down there um, and enjoy this episode. Let me know how assessing your situation goes. Thanks friends. Welcome to Backroom Beauty Talks. My name is Misty Jane, and I am a money coach for hairstylists. I help self-motivated stylists get their financial shit together, creating healthy relationships with money, opening up more options for the future, and eliminating that paycheck-to-paycheck life. I created Backroom Beauty Talks because I wanted to bring real, raw, and unedited conversations to you, uplifting the beauty industry one stylist at a time. Hey friends, welcome back to Backroom Beauty Talks. Again, I have another guest that I'm really, really pumped about. Today I'm talking with Casey Taylor. Now Casey Taylor is a salon owner and a stylist in a small town in Texas. And she specializes in mentoring stylists on how to create a beautiful, successful, wonderful business um, for small town Stylist. Why is this important? Because I don't know how many times, I don't even live in a small town. I live in a fairly big city, but I don't know how many times I hear stylists say that they can't do something, they can't raise their prices, they can't charge this much, they can't specialize in this, they can't do that because of their area. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, it's bullshit. So I'm really, really excited on what Casey is doing for the industry. And I think that you are going to love this conversation just as much as I did. I do want to apologize. The first quarter of it, there is some cutting out. We had a little bit of a weird Zoom connection, but I promise you it's not that annoying and it does get better. So stick with us. It's a great, great conversation. We travel down a couple different avenues and I really think that you will get a lot of value out of it. If you like it, don't forget tag Backroom Beauty Talks, tag me, tag Casey, everyone, tag all the things. And I will also put all of her information like I always do in the show notes below. Please enjoy. Hi, Casey. Welcome to Backroom Beauty Talks. Hello. Hi, Misty. So I was just saying that I'm like super excited to connect with you because, you know, I've been following you for a bit and I feel like we haven't connected a lot and everyone keeps telling me like, oh my God, you're going to love her. Jody sent me a message today and she's like, you're just going to love her so much. <laughs> I know it's so crazy. We do have so many mutual friends in the industry and we've just like tiptoed around each other for so right. long on Instagram. I know it's like no pressure, but <laughs> so tell the listeners who you are and where you're from. Yeah. So my name's Casey. I'm from a small town called Lindell, Texas. 
So it's deep East Texas. And um, I joined the beauty industry about nine years ago. I went to a cosmetology school that's in a town even smaller than my town, <laughs> super, super small, middle of nowhere. And um, it was a very interesting experience. I learned a lot about the industry there and also a lot of things that I don't necessarily agree with today. I um, tried a commission salon for about a year in a bigger city and just realized that, that wasn't for me and somehow ended up back home in my hometown. And now I own a salon and I do education for small town stylists. How long have you been doing education? So I really started diving deeper into education over the past like year, maybe a year and a half now. Um, I have always wanted to do education, but I was always like afraid of like, well, who, who do I think I am? Like, I'm just another small town stylist. And I realized that I was actually passionate about creating education specifically for small town stylists, because that was like the biggest thing starting my career that felt like it was holding me back. Mm-hmm. Even one of my cosmetology structures, um, she said, well, if you ever want to like make anything of yourself, you have to move to a big city because these small towns, they're too oversaturated with salons and stylists for the population. And, you know, you'll just never be able to make it here. And so I thought like, oh, well, I'll have to go to the city. And then (laughs) I tried it and it didn't work. Every time I would try to move to the city, just something would happen. It just never worked out for me. And um, then after I finally came to terms with the fact that, no, like I'm going to work in my small town and I'm going to be a small, I realized that I could create like the success that I wanted regardless of my zip code and that I could create that dream career anyways. And so once I felt like I cracked that code, I was like more small town stylists need this. Like they need to know that they're not less than any other stylist just because they're in a small town. Yeah. And it's crazy too, because I'm in like a fairly large city, but I still hear that. Like I still hear stylists like, well, I don't work in town center or I don't, you know what I mean? Like I work on the side street or like, I can't charge that because I work in this area or that area. And it's like, well, that's not true. So what was your turning point as far as like, um, this is all bullshit, everything that I learned and and I can actually like make an amazing living in a small town. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing question. I think if I had to pinpoint it, it would probably be about a year into like booth running for me. And then I had a major point in 2020 for sure. Um, I, whenever I started booth running, it was like a really small two chair salon, very small town vibes. We had like a cowhide rug and we were just doing our little thing. And I like wanted to start raising my prices and I had like several small price increases and I had built myself up to be one of the most expensive stylists in town. And I knew that there were some people who were like, well, who does she think she is? But, uh, I knew that like the prices I was charging were totally reasonable in the scheme of things. But then, um, in 2020, I finally, um, I knew that I needed to make a change because I had been like overworking myself way too many hours, busy late evenings. I mean, there were some nights where I would be at the salon till like 11 PM and I had gotten there at M 
just in and uh, double booking and just like stressing myself out. And it wasn't that I was necessarily undercharging for my area, but obviously I wasn't charging enough because I was so busy and I didn't have strong boundaries. And at this point, you were already the highest, like you already were charging higher than anyone around you at this point. I was already the most expensive by far. And so I hired a business coach, actually Don Bradley hair. I'm obsessed with Don. I love Don. She, yes, she helped me so much with like getting the confidence to finally make the changes that I knew I needed to be making, but I was like, so afraid of like taking that final leap because there's, you know, there's points in your business where, you know, you need to make a change, but just having somebody else to like, hold you accountable to those changes makes all the difference. What was the change? So I drastically cut back my hours behind the chair and like really stuck with the hours I was supposed to be working. And I also raised my prices. I, at the time when I had first like signed up for her program, I was charging under $40 per hour per service. And then after taking her program, I raised my prices to $70 an hour per service. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty big jump for, especially for services that are like three hours, because right. it's 40 to 70, you're talking like adding that up per hour. Um, and then I raised my prices again, just eight months later to hundred dollars an hour per service. And what happened? I mean, like did every, I mean, this is the fear, right? Everyone leaves you. Yeah. No, but that I, didn't happen. No, not at all. That's why I raised my prices a second time. I thought going from 40 to 70, I mean, that's just under doubling your prices. And I lost like three clients (laughs) and I had people coming back that were like, you know, never mind, whatever. Like, I still want you to be my stylist. And then, so I realized I needed another price increase. I raised my prices again by a lot once again. And I, I had so many clients who were so supportive of that change. I was so nervous going into work. The first day that I was finally having those face-to-face conversations, I literally like balled my way all the way to the salon crying in my car. And I see my first client who is somebody who had been with me like from day one of working in my small town. And she's like, I'm just so happy for you. I'm so proud of you for like making these changes. At that point in time, I had also made the decision that I wasn't going to be offering like haircut only services anymore. It was only going to be chemical services because that just wasn't serving the chair personally. It wasn't something I was passionate about as much, as much as I loved those clients. And so I was taking her service off of my menu and she was like, so supportive, very upset that I I wasn't going to be able to be her stylist anymore, but I mean, just so proud of me. And it was amazing to see how many of my clients supportive of those changes, knowing that they affected them the most. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you know, we always have these like fears in our head that half the time are not true, you know? And it's like, it's, I mean, 
gosh, and I could talk about so many things in life that that applies to, but like, especially behind the chair, you know, it's like, well, I remember when I decided to stop working Saturdays and I remember being terrified to tell my Saturday clients, you know, and when I finally told this, there was one in particular that was like consistent, always there, you know, like just, I was so nervous. And she was like, oh, well, I'm off every other Friday. So it's no big deal. And it was like, I was like, why, why have I been stressing so long about this when all it was, was one uncomfortable conversation that wasn't even that uncomfortable. (laughs) Gosh. Yeah. Like, why do we do this to ourselves? (laughs) I even had a lot of my clients who were like haircut only clients. Some that had been with me from the very beginning of my career, when I was charging $15 for a haircut, who, whenever I made that final announcement, they were like, Oh, Oh, okay. We might want to start getting some highlights. Like, can I just book for this $300 highlight service? Yeah. Insane. Like they wanted to stay my clients so bad that they were like ready to make big changes and upgrade their service to something even more expensive, even though I had just raised my prices. Yeah. So I, um, I stopped working behind the chair for like 10 months and then I decided to go back for one day a week, um, this past year. And I, Um, I don't like doing just haircuts. I love haircuts, but like, I don't know, it just doesn't fill my cup. So I kind of did the same thing, but what I have on there is you can get an Olaplex treatment and just a haircut or a toner or a gloss and just a haircut. So I, you know, I contacted a lot of my lived in color clients and they were coming back. And then I started getting contacted by my haircut only. So I'm like, well, I no longer do haircut only blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, how, then what can I get? Like, so they're coming in essentially for a haircut and the Olaplex treatment or a gloss that, you know, maybe just shines it up a little bit just because they want me to cut their hair. And what I was terrified of charging more than $60 for a haircut. Now they're paying 124 and it's like, wow, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> like <we're- laughs> We just have like so many limiting beliefs that we place on ourselves. And then it's kind of like that thing of, well, why are you spending your client's money for them? Like let them decide what they see value in and what they want to pay for it. Exactly. I mean, in a way we're like judging our clients, right? Like we're, you know, we're we're judging them based off of who knows what, that we think that they can't afford something. And it's like, that's not fair. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, and I, especially in a small town, there's a lot of conversations around, well, small town clients don't want to pay that. They want to pay less. I'm like, well, do they really? Right to have this limiting belief and things that people that, well, small town clients don't want to pay for extension services and these hand tied extensions that are like so expensive. They're a huge investment. It's like, well, nobody will pay that around here. But why was I assuming that I have a booming hand tied extension business? My clients are obsessed with it. And I realized it was this dehumanizing thing that we placed on our clients to assume that somebody from a small town would expect anything less than the same luxury service that they would get in a bigger city. Yes. Amen. I used to have a client. um, She lived in a small town near me, like two hours away. And she would drive to me because she said that there was nobody in her area doing hair like I was. And honestly, I don't even think that was the case. I think that there just wasn't a place that felt luxurious to her. You know what I mean? Because they were scared to be that place. And it's like, what's wrong with wanting to be the most expensive stylist in the area? Why is that a bad thing? 
yeah, I, it truly, I think boils down to the way other people, people are, especially in small towns. Um, um, my experience, a lot of small towns don't have a lot of commission-based salons. Everything's booth rent based. And you go into this booth rental, like fresh and you don't don't really what to do. You're like, I am a brand new stylist. I don't know how to run my business. I don't know what I should be charging. So I'm like looking at everyone else and what they're doing to make your decisions about what you should be charging and how to run your business. So everybody's copying each other, but nobody knows who was the first one to do anything. Right. And you're like, well, we're doing what everybody else does. Like, how do you break free from that? How do you start standing out and it's really intimidating. So how do you do that? I think it's a lot of confidence building. Honestly, uh, you have to be currently, you have to be will not have everyone understand running your business. Whenever I raised my prices or, and wanted to switch to doing package product a cart, there were like, oh, well, Casey's just bougie. And uh, different limiting beliefs and kind of thoughts that they had about how I was running my business. Clients come and tell me like, oh yeah, this stylist said this about you. But then I realized like, well, why am I so caught up in what those stylists are saying? Because this client, that stylist told them that, but they're still sitting in my chair paying my prices and they're not offended by it. They're not caught up in what all these other stylists are saying because they, they see the value. And so- so instead of my energy on worrying about what the other stylists were thinking, I thought about, well, think about it and how is this change supporting adding luxury to their experience? Absolutely. I mean, I think, what is it like we would do so many more things if we weren't scared to fail in front of people is like, that's like a quote that I heard recently. And I was like, it's so true because it's, we worry so much unintentionally about like our surroundings, even family, family can be the worst sometimes, you know, where they're projecting their fears onto you or, you know, and so like other stylists, they don't want to raise their price because they're scared that everyone's going to leave them, but you're over here doing it and you're just as busy. And then it turns into this, like, you know, you feel bad that they're talking crap, but who cares? (laughs) You know, like, it's like, no, no. And I love that now you're teaching other stylists that you could, they can do it too. Because I think that's the thing. It's like, Hey, if you can do it, anyone can do it. You know, it's sorry. I think a lot of, I think a a lot of, uh, whenever they see someone else finally doing the thing successfully that they had been wanting to it opens the door for them to be like, like, okay, that thing. And somebody has to be the one to open a small town. So in my small town, I, it was me. There, there no, a stylist in every small town that has to be the one to open that door. And so why not let you be the one? Well, you're the leader now. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, is that, is that, do you like that? Like, is that, don't know how I feel about it if I'm honest and maybe it's like my own internal confidence issues just because somebody who tries to encourage other people to have confidence I've still worked through a lot of that myself 
But something that I tell the stylists that work in my salon is I always want them to achieve more than where I'm at in my career. So like my goal with, um, elevating my career and like taking things to the next level with my, I want somebody else to like beat me at it. I want someone else to do better than me. I want there to be this like constant ladder that everyone else can achieve more. So I always ask my stylist, like, what are your goals for your career? And one of the stylists, she's like, I really want to own my own salon one day. And I'm like, yes, I want you to own your own salon. I might follow you because I love you. I've worked with you forever, but I want you to have that success. And so I think there is something so valuable in them knowing that I want them to achieve more than me that kind of helps everything feel more balanced because I know that they're striving for more too. Yes. That's why you're a good leader. (laughs) You know, I mean, it comes down to, you know, what is, I'm a big quote person too. So I'll probably say a million quotes on this, but, um, it comes down to the, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, get a new room. So like, I think that like leaders, like I look at, you know, sometimes people who are, um, know it all quote unquote, you know, and it's like, well, that's not a leader to me because I feel like you also have to lead people into being willing to want to grow as well, rather than like, I'm the pinnacle, I'm the top come to me. It's like, no, no, no. Let's help each other. See how far we can actually go. Um, and for me, that's like the best kind of leader. So I think it's amazing what you're doing. Um, especially because like what you're doing is like hard. Like it's a hard mindset shift to be the first. Um, and I think a lot of stylists try and stay safe for that reason. Cause it's just easier. You know, it's scary to think about stylists in your area, you know, talking crap about how you're running your business or clients even being unhappy with making changes. Um, but I mean, sometimes to be your happiest self, you have to be the bad guy in someone else's story. And I think that it's important. Have you had a lot of backlash as far as like helping other stylists? Like, cause now you're coaching other stylists, correct? Yes. Um, I, I don't know if I've had a lot of backlash necessarily. I have recently heard some rumors that there are other salons in the area kind of saying that, well, who does she think she is? She's not even a real educator. I'm Mm. like, what does that mean? I mean, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I have all of these students. Um, so I don't think that's like even a thing and I don't even care about that. Uh, it's not about like having this title of being an educator. So, uh, my goal is really just to like encourage other people. And so their success is enough for me. So I don't really care what those other stylists are saying. And I don't think there's been too much backlash. I mean, I think whenever, anytime you have a strong social media presence, especially with like Instagram reels, there's always people who pop up in the comments and I'm like, who do, who are you even? To Half like, of them probably like, aren't even stylists, are they? No, they're not even hairstylists. I feel like most of them are accounts that people made just to leave spam comments. And they will say stuff like, oh yeah, good luck doing that in a small town. And I'm like, you don't even know who I am. You don't really know what I'm teaching people. And at the end of the day, I think you have to focus on like what you're doing rather than what everybody else is saying about you. 
Right. I totally, totally agree. Yes. Yeah. You do a lot of reels that the trolls on reels terrifies me. I'm not even going to lie. I haven't had it happen yet, but I haven't like went viral or anything, but like, I just don't, I just feel like I'm just going to block everyone. <laughs> like, I'm like, that was mean. You're gone. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yes. Well, I think when I first started getting all those hater comments on the reels, I would start blocking people. Cause I was like, I don't want that negativity in my life, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's just more engagement. So right. like, I guess it's still boosting it to the right people and anyone, you know, that's going to resonate with my message. Isn't going to like worry about the negative comments. They're going to worry about the positive comments on this post. Right. And on the other side of it, like, you know, it's going kind of going back to, you know, being a top stylist in the area or whatever, like there has to be hairstylists for everyone. You know, it's like, it's okay that some people, I think if they're happy with what they're doing, like, you know, quantity over, I don't want to say quantity over quality. That's not the right way to say it. But, um, you know, if they are a stylist who charges less, and they're happy that way. Like, that's okay too. Like there has to be people out there for every kind of customer. Um, and I think that that's an important part of it as well. And people should just be okay with like that. There's going to be some, it's like hotels. I always use, you know, there's cheap hotels, there's mid hotels, and then there's the expensive hotels. Like I personally, I usually go to like the mid hotel because I know to me, the cheapest is like a little bed buggy, (laughs) the most expensive. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be in it long. I don't need to spend the money, you know? So, but there's people that will only stay at the fancy ones or there's people that will only stay at the cheap ones. And I think it's important to have all the things. Do you agree? Oh, yes. Well, and I think that we have this weird misconception in our industry that, well, you have to be an educator to be successful or you have to like only do balayages and extensions to be successful, which is completely untrue. And so I really encourage all of my students to focus on what is it that makes you happy? What is bringing you the most joy behind the chair? And let's focus on that. And let's focus on, okay, well, what goals do you need to like be able to live the life that like fulfills you the most? Do you need four weeks vacation a year? Do you need um, to like get off at six every evening? Whatever those goals look like for you, maybe you enjoy working evenings. I am more of a night owl myself. So I still prefer working evenings because I'm just not a morning person. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever those goals are, you can really create that version of success because there's no one definition of success. I totally agree. It's so funny. I've recorded three episodes. Um, this, this is the third one this week, and this has come up in all of them this week, because I think, I think Instagram makes us believe that we have to do things a certain way a lot of times, you know, and it's like, you just don't, you know, and if it doesn't feel good and it doesn't align with you, like you don't have to do it. And it goes for your business. I know for me, once I finally started doing things the way I wanted to do them, the clients that I loved and filled my cup and truly like loved and respected me and what I did started coming. But when I like lacked boundaries and just kind of felt like I was burning myself out, I was constantly getting clients that just didn't feel good to me. Um, and I think that that goes a long way. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, whatever you're putting out is whatever you're attracting. And I say this to all of my salon owners that message me asking about how do you find stylists to work for you that, you know, you really align with, or that are like really goal go getters and goal getters. 
And I'm like, well, show up as the stylist you want them to be. Because if you're not showing up as the stylist you want them to be, then you're not going to attract those stylists. And the same thing goes for your clients. Like you're going to attract whatever you're posting about and whatever you're like really sharing about. And if you're kind of all over the place, then you're attracting people who are all over the place. And when you are posting all of that negative energy, you're attracting clients with that negative energy. Yes. It's so, so true. So talk to me a little bit about moving into more of a mentor space. And, and it, I like to get a little bit more like, I mean, you don't have to get like personal. I don't mean like personal, but like, <laughs> I'm all about a little bit of vulnerability. So like, is it like, was it difficult for you to kind of make the transition to wanting to reach out to help stylists outside of your salon? Becoming a mentor has been the hardest thing I think I've ever done in my career, potentially even in my entire life, I would dare say. Um, I was so nervous and I worked a lot with um, our friend, Jody Brown. She's amazing. And I hired her because I was like, I need help because I know that this is the direction I want to take my career. But at the same time, I feel like I'm kind of giving up my career behind the chair, even though I'm still a stylist behind the chair, I make a full-time income from that still and everything, but it felt like I was kind of letting go of the direction I thought I wanted to take my career earlier on and moving into where I wanted to take it now. So there was a lot of a mourning process in that, I would say. And so I decided like the best way for me personally to make that shift was I like changed my Instagram handle and there's been even still more of like a morning process of I'm not making posts on my Instagram that are to my clients. It's to other stylists Mm -hmm. and being okay with the fact that like, that's who my target audience is right now. And my clients still see my posts and they, you know, they love following my Instagram and seeing the stuff that I'm posting about knowing that it is for other stylists, but definitely a huge morning process. And a lot of that imposter syndrome that comes along with like, well, who do I think I am to like be teaching other people how to do this in their business, but also coming to terms with the fact that I have a lot of valuable knowledge to offer. And so I'm a big believer in like positive affirmations and I like to write them down every morning. And so like, that's something I write down every morning is that I have valuable knowledge to offer and like my perspectives are valid. And just because there are other educators who teach from like this perspective doesn't mean that my education has to be the same. Yes. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel exactly the same because I, you know, got into the coaching like arena, whatever you want to call it. Um, not, I mean, I guess a little bit before you, but not much. And, uh, it's, it's a whole different world. You know, I thought it would be a little bit easier than it is. And I love it. But the, like, it's like after talking with clients or mentoring someone, it's like your cup is so full, but like the days that you're not doing that and just thinking about what, like, like needing to do it, it's like, who am I? Like, what, like, why, why did I think I could do that? You know what I mean? It's like such a weird roller coaster that I don't think, um, I necessarily expected, but it's a good thing. I mean, I'm not complaining. Um, but what I realized is like, okay, last year I spent all year realizing that like I can help people. And then this year it's like getting used to this new life. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Like, 
Yeah, it's a huge shift in like coming to terms with everything and like getting used to, like you said, this new life and this new journey that we're on. Um, I feel like with my career behind the chair, I always had some kind of roadmap that I knew the direction I was going. And even if I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do next, there were other people who had been on that journey. So I could like know what to expect next in my career, but then switching to independent education, there isn't a true roadmap for that. There are plenty of other independent educators and the independent education, you know, industry is booming right now. And I love it, but everybody's doing it so differently that you're kind of stepping into like the unknown when you do it. Yeah. You don't really know like, okay, well, what direction do I want to take this? Do I want to do more one-on-ones? Do I want to do group coaching? Do I want to have a pre-recorded course? I mean, the, the options are endless mm-hmm. and you have to figure out like what is serving me the most and what is like doing the most good for my clients in that. Well, it's like hair, you know, when you start out, you kind of have to do all the things, you know, you kind of have to see what you like, see what you don't like, you know, kind of just test everything. Um, but, but it's just different, you know? And, and I also think it's interesting because like, for me, the virtual building of trust is interesting. I mean, I, you know, I'm 19 years behind the chair. I can, somebody walks in and I know what to do, you know, like, face-to-face. I I know like the body language, everything. And then this virtual world is a whole different thing that I think we're all navigating, whether you're an educator or not. Um, Because even with stylists, at the end of the day, you're trying to build trust with people that you've never met online before they even walk into the salon. And and it's just an interesting shift. Um, And there's so much information out there, especially this year. I feel like I'm being bombarded with how to do things. And to a point where I agree, like you have to figure it out on your own. Like, it's cool to get little tips here and there, but like, you also need to like, which one do I resonate with the most, you know, because there's so many different frameworks and things like that. Like, you know, you have to find the thing that like, like hooks you like that. Everything this person says and does, I feel like I align with, I want them to help me you know, and it's, it's just interesting. It's, it's a whole different world. If anyone's listening to this and they're like, I want to be an educator and it looks so easy and fun. It's hard. <laughs> it's worth it. Totally worth it. But like, it's not as easy as I think that um, people make it look because nobody sees the back end. Yeah. Nobody knows like the hours that you're spending, the literal tears that I've shed trying to like perfect something and figure how to like teach something to somebody else, because it's one thing to know how to do something. It's another thing to teach someone else how to do it in a way that they actually understand it. It really is such a roller coaster, but I think the, you know, as hard as it is to do it, like the reward is like greater. So like the harder the work is that you're putting into it, the greater the reward is that you're getting on the other end. That's everything in life. (laughs) it's, but it goes, but you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it, you know, but it is, it's super awesome. I mean, it's, I think it's funny because, um, I love helping like beauty professionals, you know, that's like, has my heart and people are always like, well, what if you branched out? Cause like what I teach technically isn't specific to hairstylists, like personal finance is not Like, I mean, I could literally help anyone. And I'm like, but there is just something, I have such a soft spot for the industry that I don't think I want to do that. Like 
You know what I mean? Like, cause even what you're teaching, although yes, it's like hair based, but it's a confidence thing. You know, it's an internal like mirror thing. Like it's, it's more than that. And it's like, but it's cool to uplift the industry. Yeah. You know, sure. and being a part of the change. I have so many people who will message me because I talk a lot about like getting paid time off as a self-employed stylist and um, a, a lot of different things like that. And they're like, well, I'm not really from a small town, but I'm interested in this. Or I don't do hair. I'm an esthetician or a massage therapist. And I'm interested in this. So I'm like, well, you can definitely take this. Like if this is resonating with you, everything is applicable to you. Right. As well. It doesn't necessarily mean if you're from a bigger city that you're not going to like take away from this, you know, program, but I speak from a place of, I am a hairstylist and I am a small town stylist. And I think with, especially my experience in cosmetology school and having a lot of people telling me like, well, you know, you're never going to make it as a small town stylist. I really wanted to change that narrative. And so that's where my passion is like most specifically is helping people overcome those like stereotypes of being a small town stylist. Yeah. What do you, what is the biggest thing you hear from like your client, like your stylist clients? Like what is their biggest struggle? I think a lot of them confidence is like the biggest thing that they walk away with that they weren't necessarily expecting but so many of them realize that they need to make changes in their business. A lot of them come from a place of being overworked and exhausted and they're undercharging, or maybe they think that they're charging appropriately for their area, but they're like not seeing the results that they want from their income. And some of that might be budgeting. And some of that could be the fact that they don't understand like the numbers behind their um, prices a lot of us have done that thing where we like compare to other salons and that's how we figure out like, oh, well, this stylist is charging this much for a haircut. So I should charge that or maybe $5 more or $5 less. I even like went through a phase of my career where I thought like, okay, well, an educator had said a 15% increase was like a massive increase and you should never do more than that. So I would never do more than a 15% increase. And then I realized it wasn't getting me where I needed to go. So I started like really breaking down the numbers behind everything and like understanding, okay, well, this is how much I'm paying for booth rent. This is how much you're paying for electric and your continued education and your products and your insurance, all of those little things and started factoring that into my prices and then factoring in paid time off and factoring in retirement savings and all of those little things, once you realize you can factor them into your prices, it makes you think of your prices so much differently than how you do. Yeah. It makes you think of it like a business. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest shift sometimes. Well, and it's scary, especially when you see like how much of your income, what you're bringing in is going to all these different little things and what you're actually profiting off of each service and like per hour behind the chair, what your actual take home is, it shifts your perspective of like your confidence in your prices. Because once you know how much and like where every little dollar is going in your set prices, you're like, okay, well, actually I'm not making this much money off of this service. I'm only taking home this much of it. Yeah. And you, once you're thinking about it differently, you have the confidence to like communicate that to your clients. Absolutely. I know when I went independent, um, 
I went into a suite from commission salon. I was in commission for 14 years and I always charged like 20 bucks for a gloss. And then when I went independent and I was like seeing how much a gloss was costing me, I was, I was literally in the negative. Every time I did a gloss, I was like, it's literally costing me $20 to mix this bowl. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, and it does, it's shocking. And then I, then you get sad for your salon owners that you were working for. <laughs> like, yeah, you have a lot more respect for a salon owner once you're on your own and you're like seeing all those back end costs yourself. It yeah. really changes your perspective. And you're like, oh, um, actually like you know, maybe I didn't love working for you that much, but now I understand. I understand where you're coming from. I understand why you made those decisions, even if I don't agree with them. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. I remember, um, uh, when I, the first one I ever worked in, he was an older guy and he was charging like $95 for a haircut or something. And in the, in again, stereotypically in the area that the salon was, that was a lot of money, you know, like it wasn't in like the highest end shopping center and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until I went on my own that I understood it because he was getting older. He didn't want to work that much. He wanted to work less, but he still wanted to make his money. So he, he had such high prices because he only had a handful of clients, but he was making what he needed to make. And it was like, it took me so many years and going out on my own to understand it. You know, where when I was a young stylist right out of school, I was like, that is crazy. You know, <laughs> like, well, and I think even in the industry, there's like another mindset shift of being okay with like wanting to cut back your hours and wanting to raise your prices to cut back because you almost feel guilty. Um, with my last price increase, I cut back my in salon hours to two days a week. And I was like, oh, my clients are just going to think that I'm like so greedy and so selfish. And like, she doesn't work at all. She only works two days behind the chair. When in reality, I was still working a lot of hours because I was doing two days of salon clients. And then I have a wedding business on the weekend. So I do bridal hair and then my education business. And I had just come to a point where I realized like, oh no, like I can't work full-time, full-time behind the chair. And balance all of these other things that I'm doing in my career. And so, you know, you have to like shift your mindset that it's okay. It's okay to like work less. It doesn't make you, you know, any less successful or that you're working, you know, you're not working hard enough for your income. If you're working less days or less hours behind the chair. Right. And we have to like give ourselves permission to move forward with that. Right. Did you, did you find it strange when you started mentoring and coaching, like, um, making money, not physically doing something with your hands? Yes. So it, it was like <laughs> a lot harder of a concept for me to even understand like how to like budget for that financially and how to like know what to charge because behind the chair, I had to like you know, correct the formula. I'm like, okay, well, this is how many hours it takes me to do this service. So this is how much I need to charge for it. Mm -hmm. But there's so many hours that you're investing in um, being a mentor that are like behind the scenes when you're not talking exclusively to your students or, you know, whatever you want to call them, that it makes it so much harder to like figure out, okay, well, how much do I need to charge for this? And how much work am I actually putting into this? Because it's so much more than what you're doing hands-on with people. Yeah. It's like a mindset shift all in itself. You know, it's such a weird, like, wait, I'm at home. I'm not 
doing anything with my hands and I'm making money, but it's like, I, you forget, like, so I made a course. So like, but that took me a year to make, but now it's being sold. So like you see the money coming in, but there's like, I'm not, I'm just at home. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like a weird, but I never thought about like having that kind of mental shift around it. So it's, it's interesting moving into it like a different, because really mentoring, yes, you're in the same industry, but it's a whole different business. You know, it's a, it's not the same as being behind the chair and it's, it's an interesting shift. It's, it's kind of fun to see, you know, I went right out of high school to, to be, to be in the salon. So I've never really, I mean, I worked in a restaurant when I was younger, so I've never really been in other industries. Um, and I don't think there's anything like the hair world. I think it's, I still think it's like the best industry in the entire world. I think it's the coolest job in the world. Um, but yeah, it's weird being in something different. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it is such a like unique industry in itself. And like, but yeah, the hair industry is such a unique industry. And I think you're totally right. There is nothing like it. I, whenever I first started in the beauty industry, my parents, first of all, freaked out that I was going to cosmetology school. They're like, great. She's throwing her life away. What is she doing? She was supposed to go to college. And as I've worked my way through the industry, they've had like such a different perspective on whenever I was like, oh yeah, I'm like raising my prices to this. And my mom's like, what you're going to be charging more than that salon. Like that's the nicest salon in town. I was like, not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What I need to be charging. Like I can do this. And she'd always have a panic attack and she would always try to like, not show her fear over the changes I was making. But I know that they were just scared shitless of what I was doing and like waiting for me to fail. And like, how, like, what is her safety net going to be? And every time I would be like, no, I know what I'm doing. Trust me, even my husband. So my husband is in the financial world. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the whole reason I know anything about finances because he's taught me everything I know. And he even like had his own idea of like how I should be tracking my income and how like, he's like, okay, well, we need to make a spreadsheet for like all the tubes of color that you use. And then we're going to track, like every time you use this color, you're going to write it down and then we'll know exactly what colors you use every single month. I'm like, babe, that's not how this works. Or you're like, I can get salon scale. <laughs> there are plenty of other ways for me to track things that aren't your spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, coming to terms and like explaining to other people outside of the industry that are your family that don't understand it is really hard. And so it's so valuable having other people in the industry that do understand your business and can give you that guidance and support you need. Yeah. It's wild. Um, you know, it, I just remember hating telling people what I did for a living, you know, like getting that face, like, like, Oh, cool. Or, or my, my biggest pet peeve. And I don't think people talk about this enough. I feel like I need to make a reel about this is when someone asks you what you do for a living, you say that you're a hairstylist and they automatically think you need, you need them as a client. <laughs> you know, yeah. what, you know what I'm talking about where it's like, oh, like, oh my gosh, I should come to you. And I'm thinking, well, it's going to be a while, but, <laughs> or like, I don't know. It's like a weird pet peeve that I have. It's like, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here's my <laughs> website. <laughs> Feel their, their own limiting beliefs about the industry, like being pushed onto you. And your like instant gut reaction is that like, you want to defend yourself and you're like, no, 
Like I am not that small town stylist who just needs your money. People are shocked when I, um, especially when it's like, you know, family friends or people that like, you know, older people, I feel like my parents, friends and stuff that find out I'm a hairstylist and they're like, Oh, well, maybe you'll want to do my hair. And I'm like, yeah, I don't specialize in that. Like you're not my ideal client. Of course, I'm not going to just say you're not my ideal client to their face, but I say it to my mom all the time. <laughs> uh, they don't understand that you don't do that. Um, right. they'll be like, Oh, you don't cut like shorter hair. I'm like, no, I don't specialize in that actually that, you know, there are, I can refer you to somebody like I have an amazing friend over here that does specialize in that. And she's amazing, but I don't specialize in that. So I would like refer them out and they're like shocked that yeah. I would refer them out or say that I don't offer that anymore. Even my own dad, just a few weeks ago, I guess he didn't realize that I didn't accept like haircut only clients anymore. And that I did a lot of extension clients. He's like, you can really do that here in like small town, Lindell, Texas. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it for years. Do you yeah. know? <laughs> oh yeah. That's like my grandma, my grandma always asked, she's like, so are you still like, like cutting hair? <laughs> like the way she says it, I'm like, I do a lot of things, but yes, <laughs> like it's like, I love it. Family is the funniest. No, my mom, I love my mom to death and I do my mom's hair, but she is not my ideal client. I tell her all the time because she loves a good chunky something. And I just can't do Like I tell her, I'm like, mom, I'll do this my way, but it's not going to be like that picture. And then we got into a conversation one time about business cards. <laughs> Cause I was like, well, I don't need business cards anymore because like my ideal client's going to see you on Instagram or whatever. And she's like, well, I like business cards. I was like, well, mom, you're not my client, like my ideal client. Like, <laughs> yeah, family, family is interesting. Um, I absolutely love what you're doing. I think it's great. I, like I said, even being in like a bigger city, um, I use bigger city loosely where I live. It's not like a big city, but it's a large population. Like I said, I think that even people in this area can totally benefit because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it is the feeling of people pleasing, lack of confidence, lack of boundaries that puts us in these kind of, I don't know, shitty positions. And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, so I think that it is, I don't know. I just think it's great. I love it. I, you know, there's something that I've heard you say a lot and it's normalizing the wealthy hairstylist. Mm-hmm. And I think I love it so much. And it really makes me think of that. Like our paths are so kind of parallel to each other because like my goal is normalizing the successful small town stylist. Mm -hmm. And so everybody needs that. Like everybody needs to like normalize, especially in the beauty industry, being successful and like being confident in being successful. Yes. That right there, the confidence in being successful. Why is that so hard? That is a great question. And I honestly don't even know why I would, I would love to like, think about that more. I I feel like I need to do some research on this or something because it's hard. Like it's a, it's hard. And even now, like, so how's business? It's like, oh, it's good. Still getting there. You know what I mean? Rather than being like, it's great. The end. (laughs) Anything that we struggle, you know, having confidence about, it's usually our insecurities of what other people are going to think. And maybe it's that fear of like being too cocky, like, you know, especially somebody who, you know, went to school to be a doctor or a lawyer and they're like, well, I did all this hard work. You're just a hairstylist. 
Like you didn't go to college. Right. Like, well, just because I didn't go to college doesn't mean I deserve to not be successful or just because I'm self-employed doesn't mean that I deserve to not have a retirement savings or to not get paid time off. My husband works at a bank. He gets those things. So I should get that as well. It's a basic uh, benefit of working and having a career. I read um, this book, Chil- Chil- I always say it wrong, Chilipinor. Chil- I can't say it right. <laughs> but she talked about how like naturally, like if I was to say like, you know, oh, are you so busy? And you were to say no, the judgment that that I would put on you is that you're not successful. Right. And, and she's like, we need to normalize, like, because you can be successful and not feel like you're pulling your hair out, busy burnout, whatever you want to hustle, whatever you want to call it. And, um, it has completely shifted because when I was behind the chair full time, I don't double book. I don't enjoy it. Like I worked 29 hours a week. I made great money. I loved my job. I didn't work weekends. Like I, I, I wasn't crazy busy. I mean, I was my book was full, but I could sit and eat and I could go pee. And like when people are like, oh, you, are you so busy? And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm great. Like, no, but to them, that meant I didn't have a successful business. And it's like a weird mental shift where it's like, if there's not struggle, if there's not hustle, if there's not hard work, then you're not successful. And I'm not, well, I'm not take the hard work out of there. You still need to work hard, but, um, And I just think that that doesn't have to be that way. I think we can change that too, you know? Oh yeah. Especially as an industry, when I joined the industry, I mean, I even had a different cosmetology school instructor that said, well, some stylists charge more and they have less clients. And then some stylists charge less and they have more clients. But at the end of the day, everybody's making the same amount of money, which isn't true. Yeah. (laughs) That was her perspective, but not true. And she had really told us like, well, you know, like you just need to be busy. And we really glorified this, like being busy aspect as a stylist. And we like wore it as a badge of all. So many of us are addicted to being overworked. We're addicted to seeing our books full. And something I have to like really coach some of my students through is it's okay to see gaps in your schedule. Like that doesn't mean that you're less successful if you're not booked out 12 months in advance or whatever. Right. It's okay to be booked a normal amount of time in advance. Like four to six weeks is more than enough to be booked out. And you can have gaps and like learning to enjoy of being addicted to like being at a hundred all the time. And I think having gaps is a different perspective for somebody who's listening. Like if you have gaps, that's giving your opportunity for other clients to be able to get in a little bit sooner. So I think thinking about like, you know, not being super packed and super full, you're actually able to accommodate your guests better um, than if you're like booked out four months in advance and somebody gets sick and you can't get them in until July, you know? So just a little perspective change there too. Um, But yeah, it's a hard shift. I mean, you know, going independent when that was starting to happen for me, it's like, I was so used to constantly being booked out in a commission slot and it was like a weird I had, it's like what I wanted. And then once it was happening, it was like, oh my God, what's going on? It's like, you have to retrain your body to, or your mind and body to get like, to like accept the new life that you're creating. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a whole nother podcast episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. And 
it truly, what I always encourage everybody to do is instead of looking at the gaps in your schedule, like look at your finances. Okay. Well, how much money are you making? Like, are you still making the same amount of money? Well, then you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can have that security and the fact that you're not actually making a ton less money, but you have a few gaps, then you're okay. Cause a lot of times whenever you've raised your prices and you do see more of those gaps, it's counteracted all the gaps that you're going to have. And you still end up making more money. You just aren't killing yourself behind the chair to do it. Exactly. Exactly. And if you have the gaps, rest, have lunch, work on a mannequin, create some posts, like use it as productive time when, when you could, would have been doing it on your off time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But Again, that could be for a whole nother podcast too. Um, Casey, we're going up on an hour, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Where can people find your um, education, your information? Basically you, where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm pretty dang active on Instagram. So at Casey Taylor Stylist on Instagram, that is where I live. I post tons of funny reels and I love to just connect with everybody. So like, don't be afraid to send me a DM. I love chatting with everyone and really just getting connected using social media to be social. So Casey's Taylor stylist on Instagram. And I also have my website, caseytaylorstylist.com. And there's like some free education resources on there and you can learn more about me there. Awesome. And I will link both of those in the show notes for the podcast so you can get to it easy. Casey, thank you so much. It was so awesome to get to know you a little bit more today. Oh, it was so great getting to chat with you, Misty. I'm so glad we finally got connected. Wait a minute. I forgot my last question. We're not done yet. (laughs) I keep, I keep like trying to remember that you can obviously tell like this podcast, I like to keep things a little messy. Um, the, uh, I've been trying to ask everyone this last question and sometimes I forget. I don't want to forget with you. So last question, and then we'll wrap it up. You ready? I'm ready for it. Okay. What is the biggest quote unquote failure that you are the most thankful for? Great question. I would have to say that not being able to make it as a big city stylist, which it wasn't necessarily, you know, anything to do with my career, but just like things were getting in the way of me not pursuing being in a big city. Like I thought I wanted to, when I was in cosmetology school, and so I, I used to think like, oh my gosh, it's such a failure for me to like go back to my hometown and work as a small town stylist and, and not make, you know, moving to the city work. And I'm forever grateful because in reality, I'm so much happier in my small town than I right. would be living in Dallas. I've lived in Dallas before and it's a beautiful area, but I am just happier in my small town, like seeing the cows, seeing the trees everywhere going down back roads and being closer to my family. And I mean, where my career is now, I've been able to like learn that you actually have more opportunities to be successful as a small town stylist. And so it's like, you know, thing that I would have considered a failure at one point, but now that I'm so extremely grateful for. I love it. Awesome. Casey, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Once again, thank you so much for listening to Backroom Beauty Talks. If you like what you hear, screenshot this episode, post it on the gram, tag me at Misty Jane or tag the podcast at Backroom Beauty Talks, and I will talk with you on the next one.